science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. We are your hosts, Aaron Barker. And Liz Neely. And this week, we're presenting stories about the weird and wonderful process of learning about our bodies and how they come together. This episode is sex ed. That's right. I'm very excited for this. I learned what sex was for the first time, Liz, when I was in the sixth grade, and our teacher forced poor Craig Birkin to read it oh, out no. loud from the textbook. Oh, no. <laughs> And it gets worse because the sentence that he read, and this is seared into my memory, I, this is definitely what it was, <laughs> was the man jiggles his penis inside the woman's vagina. Oh, no. I will never forget it because even at that age, I was like, jiggles? Is that really the word that we're going to go with? That's <laughs> the technical term. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I am I am quite interested in the technical terms. So I have always sure. been a nerd as the oldest of five kids. I definitely was interested in where these babies were coming mm. from. Yeah, and, I had to get to the bottom of that. Yeah. And so, of course, my initial response was to go to the source of all knowledge, to the library. <laughs> right, right. And the age-appropriate books that I was able to check out that answered these questions for me were really thorough in some areas like, for example, chickens, like physiology, anatomy, and chicken sex. But then it just kind of, the next page was a drawing of a human couple in bed smiling with the covers pulled up to their chins. And I just kind of feel like, actually, now that I know more about animal copulation, that is not how chicken sex works either. I mean. <laughs> really? Yeah. Someday I will tell you all about the cloacal kiss. Oh, God. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a threat, Liz Neely. <laughs> how about how about instead we uh, listen to some stories? <laughs> that sounds like a good idea to me. You want to introduce the first one? Yeah. Our first story is from Eva Bloom. It was recorded in October 2019 at Burdock Music Hall in Toronto. The theme of that night was Lesson Learned. So it's the eve of my 18th birthday, and my boyfriend's coming over to visit me in my residence in first year. We're going to hang out, have sex, and more specifically, I'm going to be losing my virginity. I'm feeling nervous and excited. But So we met at summer camp, the classic camp counselor romance, sneaking off into the forest to make out and encouraging campers to guess if we were dating. So by the time November rolls around, we've had lots of sex, just not the mystical penis and vagina kind, which is apparently the only kind that matters for virginity losing. But it's been a lot of fun, and I care about him a lot and trust him, so I know that no matter what happens, it can't be so bad that we break up or the world explodes. But before this is going to happen, I have to jump through a couple hoops. Unfortunately, my roommate in my dorm room is sticking around that weekend, so I have to find another place for this to happen. <laughs> Luckily, I ask another friend of mine who has a single room in the residence if I can borrow her room. <laughs> I mentioned the roommate situation 
not the virginity losing situation, but being the hero of a friend that she is, she agrees. The evening rolls around and my boyfriend gets to my residence. The tension is building. I can feel the butterflies in my stomach getting restless. And we walk down to my friend's room, open the door, and it's just wall-to-wall white and pink feathers and ruffles. And I count at least seven pillows in some kind of, like, castle formation. But we're both too nervous to even turn to each other and laugh at what a situation we've gotten ourselves into. We settle in and start getting sexy, and I pull out the singular condom that, I kid you not, I got at an educational play during Frosh Week about what first year's supposed to be like. (laughs) And things are going well until we put it in uh, backwards without any lube. And then there's some movement and a whole lot of friction. And then it's over. I have officially made my debut into the world of penetrative sex. <laughs> and as I lie there, almost sinking into all the blankets and <laughs> ruffles, I feel fine. It was fine. It didn't feel great, but I love my boyfriend, and it was a pretty decent way to welcome in my 18th birthday. So I didn't expect to have an orgasm the first time I had penetrative sex. I'd been a sex nerd for several years before this, binge watching every sex ed video I could on YouTube. So I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't going to change me as a person or mean that we were together forever. I knew that sometimes people took a little bit of time before they had their first orgasms. You had to try different stuff, get comfortable with your body, explore your partner, that kind of stuff. But two years pass, and I have not had an orgasm yet, and I'm starting to feel worried. I feel like there's definitely something wrong with me. I actually buy a book called The Elusive Orgasm to see if that'll help, but uh, no success. I start actually texting my boyfriend things that I like and don't like about our sex life, hoping that he'll get the hint and maybe start going down on me more or something. (laughs) But he doesn't, so I imagine over and over again the conversation I'll have with him. Walking up to him and saying, why don't we try different things? Why don't asking him to work with me to make our sex life more pleasurable? But I also imagine over and over again all the things he could say to me. That my body was gross, that I was being too needy, that I wasn't worth the effort of trying any of that. So... I never ask. No conversations, no changes, definitely no orgasms. I only remember one time where he explicitly gave me feedback about our sex life. He's over one weekend and it's evening time, we're getting sexy, and mid-disrobing, I suggest that we try some wrist ties and some blindfolds, you know, some standard beginner BDSM activities. And his response is to laugh in my face. He says, that's so funny. You're like the daughter of a minister and you're so kinky. And I don't remember what I reply, but I do remember it feeling like a punch to the gut and tears welling up in my face. So I did get uh, my first vibrator at this point in our relationship and had some of the best sex ever with it, (laughs) but still no orgasm. And after hearing that vibrators were the ultimate solution for people who couldn't have an orgasm, I was back at square one feeling more hopeless than before. So I gave up. I figured orgasms weren't that important anyway. (laughs) 
I figured that this was my problem and I was making way too much of a big deal out of it and I shouldn't even be bringing it into the relationship anyway. I let it make me feel small and helpless and broken and unworthy. At this time, my education was taking another turn. I started down the path to become a genuine sex researcher. My undergrad program was interdisciplinary and it encouraged us to explore our interests and try independent projects and oh boy did I. I, <laughs> I did a project on the history of the birth control pill and wait for it, how scientists have studied clitoral and vaginal orgasms over hundreds of years. <laughs> I was on the path to becoming a genuine sex expert. I even started a YouTube channel where I shared evidence-based sex ed, all without having any orgasms myself. It was becoming more and more apparent the huge discrepancy between all the things I was learning and how dissatisfied and unpleasurable my own sex life was. And the irony did not escape me with any of this. I was really left feeling stuck and alone. So we get three years pass and the boyfriend and I break up right before the summer before my last year of university. He decides he's no longer in love with me anymore. And as I cry and nurse the first breakup of my first adult relationship, I also feel like a door has been opened. I can finally explore my sex life without the years of feeling like a failure and baggage and pressure. I feel like I have a clean slate. So I go on a couple dates that summer, but my sex education doesn't really begin until school starts, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I start a relationship, an amazing friends with benefits relationship with a dude who drives us to get fries after our first hookup and is very punctual about our Sunday night hangouts. <laughs> Which means a lot to me, punctuality. Um, and it's amazing. But more importantly, I also find this amazing sex podcast called The Dildorks. And <laughs> somehow, hearing personal stories, storytelling gets to me and changes my perspective in a way that reading all these papers and books never did. I can suddenly see myself as a sexual being in a totally different way. And I'm con conceptualizing sex way more broadly than I ever have before. It's amazing. So another year passes and I am still sex nerding it up, but I've left the worry and the book buying behind. And one night I'm hanging out at my student house with some friends. We may have smoked a little bit and we are doing an impromptu sex toy unboxing, which sometimes happens when you're a sex educator. Pull one out and do a little show for the crowd. <laughs> and as you may remember, I have tried vibrators before, but... When I decide to bring one back to my room and try it out, I figure it's not going to do anything like last time. So just some fun sensations, nothing that will actually rock my world. But as I bring it back to my room and turn it on, I notice that it's a little bit stronger than the other one I bought before. And as I start using it, I feel a warm, tingly sensation move up my body starting at my toes and then my stomach. And then as it goes, before I can even realize what's happening, Eureka! Orgasm. <laughs> so it turns out all I really needed was a rabbit vibrator and myself, the person who knew my sexuality best after all. Thank you.
is Eva Bloom. Eva is a sex researcher and online sexuality educator. She recently obtained a master's and her thesis focused on sexting with interest in self-compassion and bisexuality. She is the creator of the pleasure-inclusive, anti-oppressive, and evidence-based web series, What's My Body Doing?, which has garnered over one million views. She has spoken at the Guelph Sexuality Conference along with others and is a winner of the Planned Parenthood Toronto's Choice Award 2017 for Excellence in Sexuality Education. Awesome. I so appreciate Eva's story and appreciate all the stories that folks share on this topic on our podcast. We've had a few before this episode, uh, some that I really love. If you're interested in branching out a little bit, is uh, comedian Joe Firestone shared a story oh, with us yeah. a few years ago <laughs> about her own <laughs> sexual education. Uh, our own Gastor Almonte, New York producer Gastor Almonte, I think has shared a couple of stories. I was going to say, on which one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a big issue for him, I guess. But in particular, I would suggest his story from our episode Paternal Bonds that aired a couple years ago about... Uh, his relationship with his dad and <laughs> learning a few things about life. So oh, I, I love yeah. that. And um, I unfortunately don't know the name of the book with the chicken uh, sex ed, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, first a uh, much more grown up version, just want to say. So I am a biased reader, of course, but my PhD advisor, Gil Rosenthal, literally wrote the book, Mate Choice. It's called The Evolution of Sexual Decision Making from Microbes to Humans. And you might want to check that out. I love that. Literally wrote the book. <laughs> I think that'd be a pretty good line if you had written Mate Choice. Look, I literally wrote the book on Mate Choice, everybody. <laughs> uh, I also want to remind everybody before we move to our next story about our survey. Uh, if you go to our social media, our website, you can vote now on what your favorite Story Collider story is from the past 10 years. And the winner of this poll will be invited to reprise their story at our 10-year anniversary celebration here in New York in May. So uh, if you have a favorite in mind, go vote for it. If you can't remember the exact storyteller's name, the exact title of the episode, that is okay. Just describe it as best you can. <laughs> We'll figure it out. We'll make the magic happen. <laughs> That's right. Get your votes in now. All right. I think it's time for another story. Let's do it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Our next story today is from Dasha Kelly Hamilton. It was recorded in October 2019 at the Dandy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The show was presented as part of the Wisconsin Science Festival. So I was at a house party, um, and it was a grown-up house party where most of us had kids at home house party. Not the, we're all new at being grown and somebody is making a kid tonight house party. Not that one. This one. And it was roughly eight years ago or so. 
And <clears throat> I'm heading to the bar, which is basically a bookshelf that's been repurposed in the bar for this night. And it's positioned between the sink and the bread box, but I don't care, we've got it worked out. So I'm heading to the bar and there's another woman who's coming to the bar to also refill her drink. I'm drinking whiskey, she's drinking wine. And she turns to me and she says, oh, you smell delicious. Okay. And I just looked at her and I said, huh, well, that works out. And I look her in her eye. So I don't know where this is going, but I feel this charge is happening. As long as I'm clear on where it's not going, I'm two whiskeys in, so let's play. <laughs> what do you have to say? And so she kind of ch challenges and unchallenges, and we settle into this conversation. And she starts talking about how there are eight different groups of, excuse me, eight or four different groups of fragrances, and those fragrances are grouped into scents. And the scents that come from scent spices and fruits, those are the fragrances that are described as delicious. Mm-hmm. So I ask her how she knows these things. Is this her work, or is this a passion, how she find it out? And she started talking about this boyfriend that she had back in college. And that's what now has become a scent obsession, began with buying him colognes, and how she was fascinated with how that sample of smelling the box in the mall was very different once that scent was on his skin. And even how much more different it was when it was transferred onto her clothes or in her hair. And so at this point, we have fallen into this really cozy conversation. We're leaning across the breakfast counter. So people have to pass by us on this side to go to the fridge to get the ice. They're passing by us on this side to go get the extra hummus. And we're leaning over our drinks. We're leaning into our stories. And at one point, she says, you know, if I would have known that you don't need a boy to orgasm, my high school experience would have been completely different. <laughs> the entire party went silent, mostly in my head, because there were still people passing to get ice, there was still music, there was still hummus, but I had been transferred to my bedroom in middle school. I had been transferred to my bedroom where I was making stuff. I'm talking spirographs. I'm talking clay play. I'm talking fashion plates. It was watercolors. It was latch hook sets. It was clay pottery wheels. I made stuff. It was scrap fabric that I sewed into fashion designer gowns for my model de designer teddy bear named Jenny. Making stuff. And inside that room, that's where I had this sanctuary. And inside my house, I had a sense of safety. But in those years, outside of my house, things were really confusing, complicated even. So outside of my house, like all of us, I was different. I couldn't breathe as easily outside as I could in my house and definitely in my room with all of my craft and stuff. So outside of my house, my different looked like me being the army brat. Here I was, I had just moved to the hood from Korea. 
which is hard to explain that I'm not Korean. I'm an army brat. So no, my father doesn't have a rifle in his house. And well, no, I'm not from Georgia, which is where we lived before Korea. And yes, I'm from Wisconsin. And I don't know, but maybe that's why I talk white. Maybe that's why I ask so many questions. I don't know. Maybe that's why I talk so much at all. I don't know why I'm in the other classes that you're in, not, and why you ride the bus and I ride the bus, but I can't find a seat. I just want to go home. So for me, I found at school, there were kids who were my friends one day, and the next day, they were the same fellowship of people who made fun of me. So I just remember that time of my life always being anxious. Always, as my husband likes to say, keeping my head on a swivel, making sure I was trying to be prepared for the next thing when I wasn't cool, when we weren't friends, when we were. I just want to spend a lot of time trying really hard to figure out how to try even harder. I couldn't wait to turn the block where I lived. I lived about two blocks from school. So on my block, I had my house. I had my room, and I had my friends. Now, friends is a very explicit and limited thing. So I had the girl who lived next door to me, and we were the same age, but she only played basketball and went to church, and I didn't do either of those things. The house next to me, these boys were also my age, but they weren't allowed to leave the house or the yard. Literally, their house was a stay off my yard people, so they couldn't leave their driveway. So everyone else on my block was much older than us, and so my friends were my friend boys. So the boy across the street was my age, so we were friends. Me and him and his friends, and his older brother and those friends. And when I say we hung out, we hung out, right? All types of games. And I thought about them in this moment over these drinks when this party went silent in my head. I thought about how the games changed. I remember when Donkey Kong and Uno and I Declare War changed. And I thought at that moment how things would have been different for me too if I would have known then about my body and myself and what I deserved. So I had this moment, and I want you to think this montage of a drafting table and the Mission Impossible wall and the idea of light that goes on. I had this moment where I was thinking of my girls who were 10 and 11 at that time. And they're going to have so many house parties in their future. I didn't want this story to be one of them. So I thought, Buzz Mitzvah. It's gonna be like a coming of age thing, right? I was gonna bring women that knew them and didn't, and we're gonna talk about how we learn about our sexuality and how you're gonna explore boundaries, and there'd be a, a vibrator or maybe a coupon, but something that would remind them that they did not have to wait until they were grown to figure out who they were for themselves. 
So this group of this house party, we all came together every six months or so. We were we were in an MFA program. So I come together six months later, said, okay, buzz mitzvah. Here's how it's going to go. Here's where I'm stuck, though. I don't know if 13 is too soon or 16 is too late. College may be way, way, way. I don't know. Am I looking across the room and one of my friends, she starts crying. And it wasn't joy. <laughs> it wasn't because she was moved. I was like, what, what, Crystal, why are you doing, why are you crying? She said, Dasha, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> Nobody wants to get their first vibrator with their mother. Nobody. She said, <laughs> she said that's terrible. She's going to figure it out. She's going to figure it out. Please don't do this. This is an awful idea. Crystal, I have to say the tears are compelling. I'm pretty set that this has to happen in some fashion, but you're crying, and I love you, and I respect everything that you've... Okay. So I put it on ice. I thought about it a little bit more. And life tends to seek up on you, but that was in my spirit. So this wasn't about finding a way to fall in this conversation. I've always been in this conversation with my girls. I mean, they were at the vagina monologues at 10 and 11, 11 and 12. So we have a breakfast that we famously call hashtag butt sex. We talk. But I know I had information too. And I wanted to make sure that information got embedded in them and they weren't asking these questions. So because of my spirit, the universe responded to that. And I was prepared and not prepared when I got the phone call that one of my girls had been share had shared pictures of herself with a boy she liked at school. Oh, <laughs> you want to send pictures of yourself, huh? <laughs> and my lecture quickly became fussing. And then I heard myself yelling. I heard my voice screaming, felt myself crawling up her chest, and it wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. I was terrified for her, and I know that I was terrified for the little me that didn't have someone screaming at me. I had plenty of people around who knew me and loved me, but who would ever think the honors student was trying to figure her way through the world this way? I was terrified because I knew in yearning to be seen how I was giving out pieces of myself that was the only currency that seemed to matter where I was and how many decades it has taken me to reclaim those pieces back. But she deserved better than that and she's deserved the best part of me. So I dug in the only thing that I knew the only thing that got me through those years, got me through those ideas of myself, and that was making shit. So this buzz mitzvah became a body of work. And the first thing that we did, we watched a documentary about the influence of sexualized media on women and girls and how it's not an accident, it's not by happenstance, and we're all seeped in this water together. And then she had to write a poem on how that deliberateness made her feel. 
Then we took a cardboard cutout, went to the grocery store, and we did the outline of her body, and she had this cardboard silhouette of herself, and we interviewed five boys and five girls, men and women, in her circle of family and friends about what they had advice for for when they were at that age. She took her favorite comments, and we put graphic text, so she had this hanging in her wall. Our favorite was, boys are dumb and girls are silly. Still true. There was a video of watching the actual live birth and then making a comic strip of a sperm and an egg. There's a claymation exercise which we had a chance to study STDs. There's an abstract oil painting and watercolors of how you would characterize your best traits and your personality. This is a body of work. And I've been thinking a lot about that being my next show, thinking a lot about how to actually translate that into an experience for other mothers and daughters and caregivers and how to bridge the conversation of past and future and now. Because as women and girls in biology, it's past and future and now. The lessons are familiar, but they're always changing. And as for my niece, and she gave me permission to share this story, she's a high school graduate, she's working in our family business, she's very clear and secure about who she's going to be, and like all of us, working through who she used to be. And for me, I'm grateful to be a part of a narrative where she's gonna have plenty of stories to tell, plenty of house parties she's gonna be at, and I'm hopeful and prayerful that every one of her stories that she chooses to tell, they're all gonna be delicious. Thank you. That was Dasha Kelly Hamilton. Dasha is a nationally respected writer, artist, and creative change agent leveraging the processes of writing and creating to curate discussion experiences for programs and organizations around the world. She has written features and essays for national, regional, and local magazines, and published two collections of poems, essays, and short stories, four full-length spoken word recordings, a poetry chapbook, and two novels. Busy Lady. Dasha founded Stillwater's Collective in 2000 as an open mic and grew the event to an organization and an award-winning community-building initiative. She was nominated as a USA Arts Fellow and, as of October 2019, has been named a Poet Laureate for the state of Wisconsin and was named Artist of the Year by the city of Milwaukee. We are so grateful to Eva and Dasha for sharing these stories with us. It's amazing. Mm. The Story Collider is also grateful to Science Sandbox, the Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker. And me, Executive Director Liz Neely. And we couldn't do it without Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Misha Gajewski, Kayla Glenn, Jesse Hildebrand, Nikisha Roberts-Washington, and Genesis Renji. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, which includes Zoe Saunders, John Chen, and Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Dandy and Burdock Brewery for hosting these shows. And to everybody out there who is learning about sex, teaching about sex, fighting stigma and sexism, and just generally caring for these incredible and unique human bodies that we've got. Thanks for your courage. Thanks for listening.
bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.